Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash soulawakeningpodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulawakeningpodcast. And on the show's website, soulawakeningpodcast.com, we have a reading list of some of our favorite books mentioned here in the podcast, which are all available on Audible, along with the link to receive your free download. Thanks and enjoy. Hi, and welcome to the Soul Awakening Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Fowler, and today's episode is a very special one because today's guest is the author of my favorite book of all time called Your Soul's Plan. And I've spoken about this book on several previous episodes. I've recommended it to all of my friends, and it was very life-changing for me, so I'm really excited to discuss the premise of that book and the author's life's work here today on this episode. We'll be talking all about pre-birth planning from the soul level prior to incarnating as human beings. So it's fascinating. But before we get started, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes release. And we're offering a free guided body scan meditation if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it, and then email it to us. The more reviews and shares that we get, the more people that we can reach, and you never know how an episode will affect someone's life. So share the love. So our guest Rob Schwartz is a hypnotist who offers between lives soul regressions to help people heal and understand their life plan. His first book, Your Soul's Plan, Discovering the Real Meaning of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, explores the pre-birth planning of physical illness, having disabled children, deafness, blindness, drug addiction, alcoholism, the death of a loved one, and accidents. His second book, Your Soul's Gift, The Healing Power of the Life You Planned Before You Were Born, explains the pre-birth planning of spiritually awakening, miscarriage, abortion, suicide, caregiving, sexuality, adoption, having pets, poverty, rape, incest, and mental illness. His books have been translated into over 25 languages. You can visit Rob online at yoursoulsplan.com or write to him directly at rob.schwartz at yoursoulsplan.com. So I hope you enjoy this very enlightening conversation with the author of one of my favorite books. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on to the show, the Soul Awakening Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. And I've been very much looking forward to speaking with you um, actually for a long time because I've been recommending your book on this particular podcast and just to friends and family uh, for years. So thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you, Kat. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here to talk with you. So I'm really excited to talk about your work in particular because you're a hypnotist, but it's a different kind of work that you do as opposed to just past life or, you know, for habitual patterns and things like that. So can you speak a little bit about the work that you do? Uh, I do something called a between lives soul regression, which your viewers can read about at yoursoulsplan.com by clicking on the schedule a session uh, portion of the main menu. What happens in a between-life soul regression is that we start with some uh, preliminary steps that are intended to help the client relax physically and then mentally. 
When those are completed, uh, I guide the client into a past life. It's almost always a past life that had a big impact on the plan for the current lifetime. The client experiences several different scenes in the past life, the last of which is the death scene. Their consciousness leaves the body in the death scene and crosses back over to the other side. They go home, so to speak, which I realize might sound a little bit ominous, but there's actually nothing to it. It's very safe, easy, natural, and gentle. And probably everybody watching this interview has done it hundreds, if not thousands of times. When the client gets back to the other side, at that point, a lot of different things can happen. About 80% of people are greeted by a spirit guide, but it could also be uh, a figure of spiritual significance like Jesus or Buddha. It could be an angel, uh, an ascended master, a loved one. In any case, whoever greets them, uh, we talk with that being about why they were shown that particular past life, why it's important for them to know about it at this particular time, and how it affected the plan for the current lifetime. And then we ask whoever they're talking to, to escort them to what is called the Council of Elders. The Council consists of the very wise, loving, and highly evolved beings who oversee reincarnation on Earth. They know literally everything about the client, not just the plan for the current lifetime, but also every past life the person has had. So they know where they are in their evolutionary steps. They know what they're trying to accomplish in this lifetime. The main questions that the conversation with the council will answer are, what did I plan before I was born? Why did I make those plans? How am I doing in terms of fulfilling my plan? And how can I better fulfill my plan? So by the time that discussion is over, and the whole process usually takes two to three hours, uh, a lot of people will come out of that conversation saying something like, they answered every question I asked. I have no more questions about my life. Uh, I know why I'm here, how I'm doing, and how to do better. So it, it has the effect of really giving people the spiritual purpose and deeper significance of their life. Uh, and it, it's uh, potentially a transformative experience, depending upon what you do with it. So this is really fascinating. Um, so something that you said is hundreds or thousands of times. Do you Are you referring to each human soul having hundreds and thousands of lifetimes here on this planet. I am. And, and the reason I say hundreds or thousands is that this is old soul work. Mm -hmm. And your viewers, the people who are drawn to your podcast are probably almost entirely old souls. Old souls have had hundreds or sometimes thousands of incarnations. That's why I phrase it that way. Mm -hmm. And so when you're doing these sessions, what is that like for you? Are you just speaking with the client, like similar, I'm thinking to Dolores Cannon, and hearing them and through their words, you're painting the image or are you clairvoyantly seeing what's happening like what does the whole scene look like or do clients report seeing or having these experiences when they're with the elders because I know in your book you talk about that but for people that haven't read your book can you describe a little bit of what that's like uh, uh, let me just mention there are actually two books your soul's plan and yes. your soul's gift uh, and what I do in that book is that I inter in those books I interview people about specific challenges and then we find out why they plan them and what the deeper spiritual meaning is. And the books cover pretty much every major challenge somebody would experience in the earth school. Uh, for me, when I'm doing a between lives soul regression, it's similar to the experience Dolores Cannon had. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I'm not uh, clairvoyant or clairaudient. I'm not actually having the experience that the client is having. Mm -hmm. I'm facilitating their experience. Mm -hmm. And they describe to me what is happening in the past life. They say, 
this is what the council is telling me. And I say, okay, in that case, ask them this. And so it's interactive. It's very much a dialogue. But my understanding of their experience is based upon what they share with me. And do you find that all clients that you regress or a majority of them have these experiences? Or are there some clients that it just doesn't happen or it's just not the time? Uh, every hypnotist has some clients who don't go into trance. If you're ever talking to a hypnotist who says they have a 100% success rate, you should run, not walk, <laughs> run in the opposite direction. Uh, you know, going into trance is a sensitive and delicate process. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're in physical pain of any kind, that can keep you from going into trance. If you're just having a bad day and you're upset or you're worried about something, that can keep you out of trance. The key to it is to relax as deeply as you possibly can. But the paradox is that you can't try to relax because if you're trying, then you're not actually relaxing. <laughs> so what I tell people is you, you try by not trying, if that makes sense. If you can do that, you'll go into trance and the vast majority of people do. Right, okay. And so um, can you describe from all of your sessions and your books, what a session or what time with the Council of the Elders is like? The, the two comments that clients make most frequently about their experience with the Council, uh, one, they talk about the great unconditional love that the Council has for them. And when I say unconditional love here, I'm not talking about the kind of love that anybody has experienced since they came into body. It's not like the kind of love you receive from a parent or a romantic partner or a good friend. We're talking here about really an experience of divine love, something that is superhuman. Uh, this is our natural state before we come into body, but the earth is a dense or relatively low frequency place. And so the kind of love most people experience uh, once they're in body is conditional in nature. This is not a conditional love. The other comment people make about the council is that it's uh, completely non-judgmental. So people will say things like, I could sense that the council knew literally everything about me, including all the bad things I've done, and yet they loved me unconditionally anyway. And that in and of itself is a tremendously healing experience, apart from any information the council might give you. And so for viewers and listeners that the concept of a life review may be a new concept for, um, could you describe a little bit what the process of a life review is like? The life review is something that, as I understand it, each one of us has at the end of every incarnation. Uh, the traditional understanding of the life review is that it's like watching a movie of your life. That understanding is not correct from what I've been told in my research. So in other words, when you have the life review, it's not sequential. You're not starting at the beginning and finishing at the end. The, you're, you watch the life review with your guides. Your guides know what your intentions were when you came into that lifetime. So let's say that one of your pre-birth intentions was to cultivate greater compassion, which is a very common pre-birth intention. When you get to the compassion portion of the discussion in the life review, your guides will show you a variety of scenes that are sequenced from lowest vibration to highest vibration. So they'll start with a scene in which you demonstrated absolutely no compassion, and then they'll work up to one where you demonstrated just a little bit, and then a moderate amount, and then a fair amount. 
And then they'll show you the scenes where you demonstrated the greatest compassion in your lifetime. And what the reason it's presented this way is that they're trying to track your progress over the lifetime and show you, yes, you succeeded in cultivating greater compassion, or maybe you didn't, and you'd like to work on it again in another lifetime. That's fascinating. Um, <laughs> so this is something that most people really don't get to experience until they've crossed over. And this is really amazing that it's something that you're now giving uh, the opportunity to have while they're in the body, in the carnation, of, you know, their physical realm. So I'm just finding this really fascinating. And there's so many questions that were coming up as you were saying that. But so essentially, let me just track back and ask you, how did you get into this work in particular? Like, how did you even stumble upon the possibility of this happening? Well, it, it's really quite a long story, but I'll try to summarize. <laughs> um, I come from a very traditional background. Uh, I have a, an MBA. I was in the corporate world for a number of years doing marketing communications work, which I did not enjoy at all. Uh, I had the feeling that I was supposed to be doing something else with my life. I didn't know what it was. Tried all kinds of things to figure out what it was, Myers Briggs, career counseling, and so on. Nothing really helped. And then uh, one day, I was uh, having an average work day. And in the middle of the afternoon, I decided to take a break and go for a walk. So I'm walking down the sidewalk when all of a sudden I was overcome by this feeling of pure, overwhelming, unconditional love for every person I saw. And when I was talking about the council and saying this is not a human love, it's a, a divine love, that was the kind of love I experienced when this happened. Every person I looked at, I felt this pure, overwhelming, divine, unconditional love for them, superhuman kind of love. I understood uh, intuitively that this experience was intended to show me that this love is my true nature. It's who I really am at a soul level. What I did not know at the time was why it was happening. I found that out sometime later. The why was that shortly after this experience, I left the corporate world. And for about six months, I did nothing but read spiritual and metaphysical literature. I basically gave myself a PhD in six months. <laughs> and uh, then, I embarked on the research for my first book, Your Soul's Plan. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, working with mediums and channels who could access information about what somebody planned before they were born. And every time I looked at somebody's pre-birth plan, literally every single time, no matter what was planned, no matter how challenging, even if negative roles were being scripted for certain people, it was always based on complete unconditional love. And then I figured out the why behind that experience, which was, if I had not had that experience of unconditional love walking down the street, I would still have found that every life plan is based on unconditional love. But I think I would have doubted the research. I would have said, well, how do I know that this is really true? The experience I had showed me that this is true, that this is our true nature. Everyone's true nature is unconditional love. And this is how I know that life plans are based on unconditional love. So um, hearing this, and for me, when I read your book, and it took me a while, and I know that all the people it rec I've recommended it to, it takes them sometimes a while, depending on the lessons, because you're really, you have to process and accept, I think there's a level of personal responsibility that comes with the knowledge of the potential that you chose the plan of your life that you're in right now. 
And with that up-leveling of responsibility and compassion, there a whole new layer of yourself can can show and can be revealed. And so for me, um, reading your book was a very healing experience within my own life plan, especially within my own family unit, seeing the beauty of and the mastery of the souls that I came in with, even especially the quote-unquote villains, you know, and how beautiful their role is in our lives and how they really push us to grow and so it was a life-changing experience for me, but I do understand how if someone's really in the thick of it, and we're filming this interview now during the quarantines and <laughs> coronavirus and everything, how the people can hear what we're saying and say, what are they talking about? This is, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this over the course of your career here and there. So can you speak to people that are having a hard time really processing the concept that potentially we are the ones that choose our life plan and the people we come into this earth with and our parents and our family and our location for specific reasons. Yeah, all all of this is set up before birth, but it's important to understand what is meant by the word plan. Plan does not mean planned as a certainty and that everything is written in stone. Mm -hmm. Most plans, the vast majority are set up as possibilities or probabilities. Now, there are some things that are set in stone. For example, your choice of parents. Once you're born, obviously you can't change that. Or if you plan to be born with a physical handicap that can't be treated by medical science, which is something you would know before coming in the body, then short of what we call a miracle, you're going to have that physical handicap. But these are the exceptions to the rule. The vast majority of things are set up as potentials. So you do the planning with members of what is called your soul group. This is a group of souls who are at more or less the same evolutionary stage, which is another way of saying the same frequency or vibration. You and the members of your soul group take turns across many lifetimes playing every conceivable role for each other. So you and the members of your soul group will be mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister, romantic partners, best friends, mortal enemies, even murderer and the one who is murdered. At the soul level, there's no judgment about any of those roles. They're all seen as learning and expansion and evolutionary opportunities. Uh, And again, you you trade places over the course of many lifetimes, playing every conceivable role for each other. Why do you do that? There are a number of reasons, uh, balancing and releasing karma, being of service to each other, healing, uh, correcting false beliefs or false feelings about the self, experiencing contrast, We could spend an hour talking about any of those five main reasons for uh, uh, incarnating and planning lives before we're born. But when you boil it all down, the underlying lesson behind the five things I just listed is that we're learning lessons in how to give and receive love. That is the bottom line. Uh, And you keep coming back to Earth until you feel complete uh, in your ability to give and receive love. We don't have an hour for each, but would you be able to go through each of those, like giving maybe a little example of each of those reasons so people can relate to or maybe have an aha moment of, oh, this makes a lot of sense in my life. Yeah, I'd be, be happy to. Well, the first of the, the five main reasons for planning life challenges that I mentioned is balancing and releasing karma. Balancing and releasing karma are not the same thing. Balancing karma means you plan to have a new experience that energetically offsets a previous experience. Releasing karma means that you heal the underlying tendency that created the karma in the first place. So in other words, if all you do is balance karma without releasing it, 
you will end up recreating the same karma over and over again. An example of balancing karma would be, uh, let's say two people had a past life together in which one was ill and the other person was the caregiver. When that lifetime is over and they have their life review and they see the caregiving relationship, they may or may not feel complete with it. If they feel complete with it, they go on and plan something else. But if they don't feel complete with it, most likely they're going to trade roles. So the one who was ill becomes the caregiver. The one who was the caregiver plans to have the challenge of illness. That reversal of roles will balance the experience for those two people. Would you say that right now, globally, a large amount of souls have came in for this particular reason, especially with what's going on? Balancing karma? Yes. My understanding is that uh, literally everyone or almost literally everyone was in Atlantis. Uh, which you may know is an ancient civilization here on Earth. Uh, Atlantis had apparently some very advanced technologies, mostly related to crystals, which ultimately were misused and caused the destruction of Atlantis and a, a tremendous lowering of the vibration of the Earth. Mm -hmm. So the souls who did that are karmically responsible for it. And that's why just about all of us are back to try to balance that particular experience. I once heard someone say it's particularly Americans. Have you heard this? I have not heard that, but <laughs> that would not surprise me if that is true. And the reason I say that, there's um, a body of general literature called the Michael system, which talks about life plan relative to soul age. So in the Michael system, there are five or six different categories of soul age, ranging from infant soul up to older soul. And according to Michael, the uh, second youngest category, which Michael calls young souls, young souls have life plans in which they, ex they plan to explore power. And according to Michael, young souls will congregate in the United States because it lends itself to an exploration of power. And certainly we see a lot of that going on these days and have for the past few years. Mm -hmm. So it would not surprise me if what you just said is correct. And I'm wondering, um, previously we were talking about soul groups and with the age of the soul. I know that the soul groups are of similar frequency, but do you think it's possible? And I mean, would you have found that maybe there's one or two particular members of a soul group that are more advanced in vibrational frequency that are kind of there to pull everybody else up with them? Or do you feel like that's just the role that they're playing in the incarnation that they're in at that moment? I, my understanding is that there, there may be some small differences in vibration among members of soul group, but essentially the, the differences that you're talking about would be accounted for by the role that they've planned to play. So mm -hmm. you might plan to be the quote unquote teacher mm -hmm. or somebody else in their lifetime, and then you trade places and you become their student, they become your teacher. Right, right. Okay, so balancing karma you're saying is different than releasing karma. Balancing, again, is uh, having a new experience that offsets energetically a previous experience. Releasing means healing the underlying tendency. So, for example, if, um, if you had your life review and you found that you made certain unloving decisions because you carried a lot of anger through a lifetime, you would conclude that you needed to heal the anger in order to release the karma, heal the tendency that created it in the first place. So you would plan a life in which certain triggers were planned to trigger the anger so that you could have the opportunity to make a different and more loving decision in the new lifetime. 
And that's how you release karma. Right. And then your second reason, I think, was for healing. Uh, I'll take an example from my first book, Your Soul's Plan. There's a chapter in Your Soul's Plan about the pre-birth planning of deafness and blindness. The deafness story is a young African-American woman named Penelope. She was born completely deaf in her current lifetime. She and I worked with uh, a particular medium who was able to go back into Penelope's pre-birth planning session. And we were able to listen to the conversation that she had with her spirit guide when the deafness was planned. And what we discovered was that in the lifetime immediately previous to this one, Penelope had the same mother she has in this lifetime. And in that past life, when she was a little girl, she heard her mother shot to death by the mother's boyfriend. That traumatized her and it actually led her to suicide later in that lifetime. So she returned to spirit from that lifetime with what you could call an energy of unhealed trauma, which now needs to be healed. In her pre-birth planning session, her spirit guide says to her, my dear, would you prefer to be born deaf so that no similar trauma will happen to you again and so that you can complete your healing from the last lifetime. And Penelope says, yes, that is what I want and what I wish to do. And then what follows is a fascinating dialogue in which she and her guide work out the details of the deafness. So the deafness is intended to help her heal the trauma from that past lifetime. I remember reading that story and just crying so much. That was such a beautiful part of the book. So what you're really speaking of too, I think, which is interesting, is this like wounding that occurs to the spirit that we we carry within each lifetime if it's not resolved. Um, and so as an energy healer, I, I see them, like I know what you're talking about. Um, but it's amazing that you don't need really someone to come in. You, you can solve these things yourself with the understanding, the higher dimensional perspective of why you're carrying the wound and what's going on, you know, and how to heal it when you come from that perspective. So I think yeah. that's what's really fascinating about your work. And even just reading your books, I think ideally can elevate people's perspective. So just to continue on, so the next one was service to others. Service to others. This is something that I have seen in one form or another in literally every pre-birth plan I've ever looked at. There's always some component of service to others. Uh, probably most or all of your viewers have heard of the concept of oneness. This is the idea that there's actually only one being in the entire universe, and it's you, it's me, it's all of us. Each one of us is an individualized expression of the one. The way I conceptualize the orientation towards service is that it's a natural expression of oneness consciousness, which is our natural state of consciousness when we're home on the other side. So for example, let's say that you and I are planning a lifetime together and you perceive that I am literally you. It's not just a concept the way it is here. You actually perceive that I'm literally you. Well, then, of course, you'll want to be of service to me. And conversely, if I perceive that you are literally me, then, of course, I will want to be of service to you. So I think this orientation towards service is a natural expression of oneness consciousness, which, again, is our natural state when we're home on the other side. Yes, and from my understanding, it does really have to start with love of self, and then it expands to love of others. It's very difficult to only, or I would say almost impossible, to only say you love others yet not yourself. So this is really interesting. And then you were saying the fourth one is experiencing contrast. Contrast. Um, you know, we live in a realm of duality, meaning up and down, left and right, hot and cold, good and bad. The non-physical realm that we come from is a, a non-dual realm. 
and probably some of your listeners have actually had non-dual experiences but that's not the experience that the average person is having when they're here in body it's an experience of duality and the reason we want to experience duality to experience contrast is because it teaches us who we really are it teaches us the meaning of love and what it means to be a being made from the energy of unconditional love which we all are um, you know this this subject of contrast comes up in one of the conversation with god books and there's an analogy used there that i think is very helpful god asked the author neil donald walsh to use the analogy of the white room which goes like this he says imagine that you are a white being in a white room so you're white the ceiling is white the floor is white all the walls around you are white everything in the room is white including you now if you are such a being in such a room how do you know that you're white well the answer is you don't and in fact you can't until you experience something that is other than white then once you've had that experience you understand much more deeply what it means to be a white being in a white room this i think is what we as souls are doing here on the physical plane we are made literally from the energy of unconditional love which i know from my experience that i talked about walking down the street that day the realm we come from is a realm of unconditional love therefore we experience no contrast to ourselves therefore we don't understand who we really are and so we come here for the contrast the not love so to speak because through the experience of the not love by the time you go home at the end of a lifetime you understand what it means to be a being made from the energy of unconditional love the contrast gives you the understanding so would you say um percentage wise and also just from your work and what you've seen when we see beings doing horrific things uh human beings would you say some of this is very much on plan and some of it is off plan and how do you know the difference how would a person listening uh, understand for themselves that they're on the right track, they're following, you know, their mission, their life plan, or that they're not. And also when looking at the world broadly and at some of the things that we experience here that are of heavy contrast, how can we know that this is actually part of the plan? Uh, sometimes I think you, you can't know, and many times it's possible to know, but very difficult to know. Uh, a lot of the, the quote-unquote negative things or, or you might use the word evil sometimes that people do uh, very often they are part of the plan but what happens a lot as i understand it is that through free will decisions the person who agreed to play the quote-unquote negative role takes it too far and then the question becomes what portion of this person's behavior is something that i agreed to before i was born and what portion is this person using their free will to take it too far that is a very difficult question to answer. Mm. You might have a sense of the answer intuitively, but if you don't, that's the kind of question you want to ask the Council of Elders in a between lives soul regression because they can tell you that very easily. Uh, in terms of your question about how do you know if you're on your plan, there's some general indicators. Uh, are you following your joy and your excitement? Joy and excitement are communications from your soul saying, yes, this is your plan. This is the path for you. Aspiration and inspiration. Your soul speaks to you through your aspirations and your inspirations. If you follow those, you'll be on your plan. And then uh, any activity that creates what we could call time distortion or the flow state where you just lose yourself in something 
and it feels to you like five minutes have gone by, but when you look at the clock, it's two hours later. Any activity that creates time distortion for you, there's something there that is part of your pre-birth plan. Yes. And the first thing that I think so quickly and automatically is meditation. Yeah. <laughs> like just 100%. Um, this was the question that blew out of my mind before it came back with your answer. So I'd like to just clarify this. And I'm not like knocking religion, but I do want people to understand this. We are our harshest critic outside of this veil. We're the ones that judge ourselves. There is no, you know, strike you down, you know, whatever, because you've done things. There's karma that binds. But can you please explain and describe and, and kind of elaborate on what I'm speaking about? I think what you're referring to is that when we go into the life review after an incarnation, there's absolutely no judgment of us except for self-judgment. Mm -hmm. And this is why you have the life review with your guides right next to you, because they are sending love to you. They're loving you unconditionally through the whole experience. And a lot of people really need that because they are their own harshest judge and critic. Uh, but if you don't judge yourself, then there is no judgment of you in the life review. And I, I think one very good way to prepare yourself not to judge yourself in the life of you is to really cultivate the attitude that uh, there is no unfinished business here on earth. There's simply experience because a lot of people come out of the life of you with a feeling of, I didn't do that very well. I didn't do it as well as I wanted to. It's unfinished business. I have to go back and do it better. Well, if you want to go back to try to do it better, you have the option to do that, but no one is going to force you to do that. And if you instead can come away from the life of you with the attitude that there is no unfinished business there, it was just experience, it was just learning, it's all good, that really frees you up to go on to do something else. Well, can you then speak to karma? And if there is leftover karma, would, would they not have to go back or do you still have a choice? Karma, as I understand it, is consistent with what I just said in mm -hmm. that Karma is uh, unfinished emotional business, emotional ties that have not been wrapped up. So think about the example I gave earlier of the caregiver and the person who's physically ill. When they have their life reviewed, they themselves decide we're complete with this or we're not. If they feel incomplete with it, again, a choice they themselves make, that feeling of incompletion is the karma. But nobody is telling them, you've got karma here, you need to go back and trade places. Mm. They, the karma is their feeling of incompletion with their experience. Hmm, that's fascinating. I've also heard karma described as gravity or love, a loving force. So this kind of will make, that makes more sense with that definition. This is really fascinating. So with these life reviews, outside of your guides and the Council of Elders, do loved ones come in as well? Uh, I believe that they can, but they don't always. Mm -hmm. And it really just depends on you. Do you want to bring somebody in to watch a scene together and talk about it? Uh, if that will foster your evolution, you could do that, but it's not required. Okay. And so the fifth reason, <laughs> going all the way back, uh, was healing false beliefs. Yeah, th this is the uh, last reason why we plan challenges before we're born. Strictly speaking, it's a subset of number two, healing, but it's so important. I always like to break it out as a separate item of its own. Uh, healing or correcting false beliefs or false feelings about the self. And the way this works is 
just about everybody has had at least one past life, and usually many, in which certain things happened that caused you to pick up a false belief or a false feeling about yourself. When I say false, I mean false from the perspective of your soul. Two of the most common false beliefs or feelings about self are one, that one is powerless, and two, that one is unworthy or perhaps even worthless. If you believe yourself or feel yourself to be powerless or unworthy or worthless, you will draw to or magnetize to yourself experiences that seem on the surface to confirm to you that you are in fact powerless, unworthy, or worthless. This is actually a fundamental function of life in the third dimension. The world is set up to mirror you back to you so that you can discover what lies within your consciousness, even if it's at the subconscious level, and then bring it to the light of conscious awareness where you can then set about healing it. So I realize that what I've just described might sound harsh and maybe even punitive, but I can assure your viewers the universe's intention is not to be harsh or punitive. The universe is loving. And what it's trying to do in its infinite love for you is mirror you back to you so you can find out what your false beliefs or false feelings are. And then once you know what they are, you can heal them. Yes. So with our current climate and the shift dimensionally that's happening of the planet that we live on and of humanity's consciousness and our elevation in frequency into a higher dimension, what would you say the roles are of the fourth and the fifth dimension when it comes to this kind of healing and soul work? So my understanding is that the earth is in the process of moving from the third dimension into the fifth dimension. The third dimension is a dimension based on fear. The fifth dimension, as I understand it, is a dimension based on unconditional love. The fourth dimension is a transitional dimension. It has many sub-layers. And as I understand it, we're toward the last few layers of the fourth dimension coming close to the fifth. So what we are doing is moving from a fear-based lifestyle and a fear-based society to one that ultimately will be based on unconditional love. And also, I think, uh, unity consciousness, oneness consciousness. So the role of the, the third and fourth dimension is for us to wrap up those lessons that were based on things like karma and healing and false beliefs and move from uh, a paradigm that for a very long time now has been learning through suffering uh, to a paradigm of learning through love. Yes, and I think um, a huge part that we're releasing of that also is this victim consciousness that we, I think, um, it can be very easy to fall into with the current surroundings. And so can you actually just speak to listeners that may be feeling like the victim of their circumstances at the moment with the global climate or with just things financially that are happening or within their own family units? Because so much right now currently is dismantling. So when you feel or believe yourself to be a victim of anything at all, uh, that feels unco quite uncomfortable to the average person. And so they go into a state of resistance to whatever it is that's causing them to feel that way. When you go into a state of resistance, you're giving a big energetic no to the universe. The universe doesn't understand that you intend to say no just to the thing that you don't like, the thing that's making you feel victimized. All it hears coming from you is no. And it takes it as a global no a no to abundance, a no to spiritual clarity, a no to physical health, a no to mental health, uh, a no to every blessing that you want to have in your life. 
So you've probably heard the expression, when it rains, it pours. That is a great description of somebody who's gone into a state of resistance to something that's making them feel victimized. In other words, one small thing goes wrong. They feel slightly victimized. They go into resistance against that one small thing. But now that they're giving this big energetic no to the universe, all kinds of things start to go wrong. It starts to pour. And that's a description of what happens when you go into victim consciousness. So you want to do anything you can to pull yourself out of that. This is the main function, I think, served by my work, both the books and the Between Lives Soul Regressions. When you find out that you planned your life, you're the powerful creator of your life plan, that pulls you out of victim consciousness, which takes you out of that energetic no, takes you out of that state of resistance, and then you can once again allow blessings to flow into your life. Yes, and in particular in your book, you talk about even topics like accidents, quote-unquote mistakes or accidents. And there's schools of thought that say there are no such things as mistakes, coincidences, or anything like that. But so I'm wondering, because not everything is predestined technically, and we do have the free will that creates a little bit of wiggle room within our plan, so are there such things as true accidents or mistakes or things like that? Well, there are basically only two ways that, that an accident can happen. Uh, either you planned it before you were born or you didn't plan it before you were born. Those are the only options. If you didn't plan it before you were born, and actually even if you did, the only way the accident can come into your experience is if your vibration allows it to come into your experience. So regardless of whether or not it's something that you sought out before you were born, it isn't going to happen unless your vibration permits it to happen. And this is why you want to do whatever you can as you go through life to hold the highest vibration you can, which is another way of saying just be the most loving person you can be. Uh, try not to make fear-based decisions. Try as much as you can to make love-based decisions. Be as kind and compassionate as you can be. Watch your thoughts. Try to let go of negative thoughts and substitute positive thoughts for them. And if you do those things, you keep your vibration high, which makes something like an accident uh, not able to come into your experience. Right, unless it's supposed to for a particular reason. Right. But even then, it still has to be compatible with your vibration or it can't happen. So um, I was just hearing I should ask about in particular, children that pass at an early age from illness or whatnot. And let's just say they didn't come in ill, but they develop an illness quite early and pass. What would you say would be the higher dimensional view or perspective of what's happening? Uh, the most common explanation, as I understand it, uh, is that the souls of those children are generally uh, pretty highly evolved. They're very high vibrational souls. They're coming in and playing a role of service to the parents. Now, what kind of service is that? Well, the, the effect of having a child die is that it breaks your heart open. And uh, if you don't allow yourself to become bitter as a result of the experience, over a period of years as you heal, because your heart has been opened, uh, you are much more capable of giving and receiving love. It's a tremendously painful way of learning that lesson. But the simple fact of the matter is that many souls who choose to come to Earth choose to come here because this is a place where hearts are broken open through difficult experiences. 
And that's um, from the soul's perspective, which is a much broader perspective than the personality's perspective. That is a valuable experience. That, that is something to actually seek out. The pain is very temporary from the soul's experience. But as you become a more loving being, that is something that you carry with you through all eternity. And would you say um, these life reviews, that this occurs for people that have near-death experiences? This is kind of what they're going through. It's the same thing? Near-death experiences, as I understand it, uh, are generally part of a pre-birth plan. Uh, very often the reason it's planned is to trigger a spiritual awakening in the person. Uh, and a, a substantial number of the people who have that kind of spiritual awakening go on to be teachers, either formal teachers or informal teachers to the people who happen to be in their lives. So it's a kind of thing that is planned for the benefit of all the people around the person who has the new death experience. Okay, because sometimes people speak of having these life reviews, in a sense, when they do have those experiences technically on the other side. So that's why I'm wondering if they're similar with speaking with their guides or the Council of Elders. I think it is similar, but obviously it's incomplete because you're having it in the middle of a lifetime <laughs> rather than at the end of a lifetime. Right. So this topic you probably know about, I don't know, what about in the case of walk-ins? And a walk-in is technically when... There's a physical body, the soul uh, either is tired, cannot complete the mission, or whatever the case is, um, and chooses to opt out. Sometimes this happens in comas and accidents and things like that. And then another soul chooses to inhabit the body and continue. And a lot of the times the transition is pretty seamless. And even the person themselves, like the physical consciousness, doesn't know that that has happened. Dolores Cannon speaks a lot about this work. So in that case, what would you say is happening there? Because that feels more of like a... We didn't plan this. <laughs> uh, walk-ins can be planned or not planned. The description that you just gave of what a walk-in is is entirely consistent with my understanding. The walk-in soul is not necessarily at the same vibration as the soul that was already in the body. Okay. Uh, and sometimes the walk-in is actually at a much higher vibration. And I'll give you a well-known example of this. Right. Yep. As I understand it, Toward the end of the war with Iraq, Saddam Hussein was walking along a riverbank in Iraq. This was at a point where it was clear to him that he was going to lose the war. He walked out of the body, another very high vibrational, so much higher vibration than Saddam Hussein came into the body. Now think about the timing of that. The walk-in soul is coming into Hussein's body at a point at which it knows in short order, he's going to be captured, imprisoned, tried, convicted, Put to death why in the world would a soul want to have that experience well think about it think of what you could learn in those very difficult and very unusual circumstances you could deepen in compassion unconditional love self-love empathy and on and on and on think of the many many virtues we can learn by coming to body on planet earth that is a magnificent opportunity to cultivate some of those virtues I didn't see this myself, but someone told me while Hussein was in prison, somebody from one of the American intelligence agencies was sent to interview him in his prison cell. And that person was later interviewed on 60 Minutes. And this person said to the 60 Minutes interviewer, Hussein was nothing like what I expected. He was quiet, he was calm, he was gentle, he was patient, he was even writing poetry in his prison cell. It's like he was a different person. 
well, he actually was a different person. That's why he came across that way. That's beautiful. And so I'd love, well, I know in your books, you don't talk too much about this, but I'm sure you have experience with this. Do you have any records of clients talking about their time in between lives off the planet Earth? Uh, that that does come up now and then in a between life soul regression. Not too much because the focus is on the plan for the current lifetime. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, usually just out of sheer curiosity, the client will ask the counsel some questions like, where am I from originally? Where have I had other physical lifetimes? Mm-hmm. Where have I had non-physical lifetimes? And there are plenty of those too. And then the council will say, well, you know, you're from the Pleiades or the Syrian star system or the Arcturian star system or whatever it might be. And sometimes, uh, and this is quite unusual, but it is possible, uh, you can actually ask to be taken to those places and given an experience of what they're like while you're in the trance state. Uh, So for somebody who wants to do that kind of work, it, it is possible to do it. And can you speak a little bit to what happens to the souls that decide to not reincarnate right away because they need time for healing and where they go and what that's like? My understanding is that uh, they can take as much time as they want or need. Uh, Where they go depends upon what kind of healing they need and how much healing they need. Uh, There are, as I understand it, what we could call hospitals Mm -hmm. on the other side. And so if you have had a particularly traumatic life, Uh, either physically or emotionally, when you first cross over, you may find yourself in a hospital type of setting. But it's not a hospital in the sense that you're getting some kind of physical treatment. Uh, What you're basically receiving is a lot of unconditional love that helps you heal from whatever trauma you experienced here. And then there are all sorts of variations on that. Healers that you can work with, healing planets or healing temples that you can go to. Uh, And I've seen some of this in in the Between Lives Soul Regressions I've done. Uh, For example, in one of the workshops, uh, there was someone who was not so interested in finding out about her current life plan. She already knew a lot about that. And so when she went into trance, she did so with the intention of going to different uh, places of healing on the other side. And she was taken to three different planets. I think one was actually a water planet. And they showed her different modalities of healing that are used on the other side, things that are, are far beyond anything that we have here. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing you can do in the between lives regression. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> and so in um, traditional yoga philosophy, there's this belief that what you do and your frequency at moment of death has a major impact on how you cross over and whatnot. Would you say that that is accurate? I think that that is true. Uh, That's something that I'm actually just beginning to study myself now. Mm -hmm. Um, My understanding is that your intention at the time you crossed over is very, very important. Uh, Most people will go to one of the lower astral realms and they'll be greeted by loved ones from this lifetime. And uh, then they stay in that lower astral realm. And if you do that, uh, as I understand it, that greatly increases the chance that you will reincarnate on Earth. But you can set an intention to go to much higher vibrational places. You can set an intention to reunite, so to speak, with your higher self. You can set an intention to go out into what we could call infinity and start exploring that. You can set an intention to go straight back to God or source or whatever term you want to use. That intention makes a big difference. Yes, and this is bringing up the idea of really redemption, mercy, 
freedom from forgiveness, um, all of those teachings similar to Christ consciousness and a lot of different ascended masters, because there's a lot of guilt, I think, religious guilt that maybe a lot of people may hold thinking, you know, I've done X, Y, Z, I'm holding all this weight of sin, quote unquote sin. How is that possible that I can do all these terrible things? And then at the moment of death, I can redeem myself. So can you speak a little bit to that? Well, the the view from the other side, from higher vibrational, highly evolved beings, is that there is no such thing as sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they see your light literally. They see you as the pure soul that God created you to be. And yes, you may have come to Earth and and done some things that were quote unquote negative or fear based or not love based. But from their perspective. That would be you having lost conscious connection with your true nature, which is love. So that's that's almost an aberration in their eyes. They see the true you, the loving soul that you really and truly are. Uh, they have no judgment of anything that you've ever done in any of your lifetimes. Uh, again, the only judgment comes from you yourself. But as far as they're concerned, there is no sin. Yes. And I guess my last question that I'd like to ask you is, for the listeners and the viewers, can you speak to the immense amount of power that we have and autonomy within our own lives, because we've planned them, and also just with our free will, with making our decisions and moving and shifting our vibrational frequency? Yeah, I think the important thing for people to understand there is how powerful your thoughts are. Uh, Edgar Casey said, mind is the builder. And what he meant is that your thoughts determine the world that you experience. Every thought has uh, an energy to it that's at a certain frequency. And if you think high vibrational thoughts and send a high vibrational frequency out into the universe, then high vibrational loving experiences come back to you. If you're having a lot of judgmental or fear-based or negative thoughts that are at a low frequency, then you're sending that frequency out and that frequency is going to come back to you. So it it can be difficult, of course, to monitor one's thoughts all the time. But uh, as A Course in Miracles says, for example, you're not asked not to have impure thoughts. You're just asked not to hold on to them. And when impure thoughts come up, you can turn them over to God, to Jesus, to your guides, to whoever is of significance to you, and simply ask, may this be taken from me. Uh, May your light infuse my consciousness, help me to let go of this and see it differently. Uh, And through that kind of a process, if you do it consistently over a long period of time, you end up shaping the kind of life you would like consciously to experience. That was beautiful. Um, So thank you so much. How can people find you? And I know you have not only the two books, but you also have a workshop and you also do sessions one-on-one. So the the website is YourSoulsPlan.com. If you click on schedule a session, there's a tremendous amount of information on that page about the between lives uh, soul regression. There's also a video uh, about an hour long taken from an actual between lives regression so people can see what it's really like. Uh, If you click on the events page, you can see the workshop schedule. A lot of that has been rescheduled lately, of course, due to the coronavirus. Uh, but the workshop has four components, a talk I give about pre-birth planning, uh, something I call the divine virtues exercise that tells you the qualities you're working on in this lifetime. And then we do two group hypnotic regressions. Uh, one, 
to contact uh, loved ones on the other side and another is a group between lives soul regression the same kind of session i offer privately but we do it as a group it's not interactive of course the way it would be in a private session but it still allows people to have the experience uh, just as profoundly as they do in a private session uh, and the books again are your soul's plan and your soul's gift uh, you can find them on amazon or any bookstore or library Yes, I've recommended this over and over and over again <laughs> on this podcast and just personally. Um, and so I know that I said that there was that last question, but I just am curious because I was looking at your website, obviously. So what's your take on coronavirus and the higher dimensional perspective on everything going on? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, a few weeks ago, I had a private channeling done. The intention initially was that it would be a private channeling about what is the meaning of the coronavirus but I was getting so many emails from people asking, what do you know about it? I decided, all right, I'll just make the channeling public and mm -hmm. let people read this for themselves. So if you click on about in the main menu, scroll down, you'll see a listing for coronavirus. Uh, the channel consciousness here is a collective, a group of ascended masters. And they talk about how the virus came to be and the intentions of the people who created it and so forth. Uh, which is all very interesting. But the main point they make is something we've discussed already, and that is that Earth is shifting from 3D and fear to 5D and love. And this virus is uh, in some ways going to accelerate that process. You know, it, it provides all of us with the time to be quiet, to go within, to connect with spirit, to examine our lives, what is working, what is not, who do I really want to be going forward? And all of that is uh, going to shape the new earth, I think, in very positive ways. 100%. The catalyst. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been fascinating and wonderful. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And I hope people get a lot out of it. Well, it's been a pleasure. You ask uh, great questions. And I just want to thank you for having the podcast. It's a tremendous service to the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Soul Awakening Podcast so you'll be notified of our new interviews and episodes when they release. You can find all the episodes online on soulawakeningpodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and pretty much all places where podcasts are found. And again, don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Today's episode was brought to you by Audible. For the listeners of the Soul Awakening podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download along with a free 30-day trial through visiting audibletrial.com slash soulawakeningpodcast. If you loved the information that you heard today and it sparked something in you, feel free to share it with your friends and your family as well. I'm your host, Kat Fowler, and thanks again for listening. I'm wishing you peace, love, light and joy for the rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.